Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, okay. <clears throat> first of all, I'd like to thank everyone for dialing in to this SMA Space Speaker Session entitled, A Japanese Perspective on Space Deterrence and the Role of the U.S.-Japan Alliance. I'd especially like to thank our speaker, Dr. Kazuto Suzuki, for taking mm -hmm. the time to present today. I really appreciate that. Um, hopefully, everyone that has dialed in has received uh, the PowerPoint slides and bio. If you haven't received these materials, just uh, email me, this is Mariah, um, um, and I'll send them over to you uh, right away. Um, now I'd like to uh, let uh, Dr. Nicholas Wright uh, introduce our, our speaker um, before Dr. Suzuko takes over. Um, so, Dr. Wright. Thank you very much, Mariah. Um, so I think, uh, to give a little bit of background, um, I think it's impossible to uh, uh, think about um, China-US uh, escalation scenarios in the near future uh, in which Japanese perceptions wouldn't be critical. And when you think about space in China-US escalation scenarios and space operations, how would the uh, Japanese uh, think about U.S. space operations or about uh, Chinese space operations? How will they perceive those and understand those? So Japanese perceptions uh, of space operations will be critical um, to U.S. success in uh, any um, near-term China-U.S. scenarios. And really here today we have um, uh, one of the world's leading experts on uh, Japanese thinking about space, and in particular, uh, Professor Suzuki uh, has thought about uh, space um, in uh, and Japanese uh, perceptions about space in security related to uh, U.S. and Chinese um, uh, security challenges. So it's with great pleasure that um, I introduce Professor Suzuki. Before that. I will just give a brief bit of background uh, on Professor Suzuki uh, and, uh, and also uh, on a white paper that Professor Suzuki is very kindly contributing to um, uh, here uh, in the SMA group. So Professor Suzuki um, is Professor of International Politics uh, at the uh, Hakodate University in Japan. Uh, he has uh, worked at a number of prestigious institutions globally. His PhD was from uh, Sussex University in the UK. He has worked uh, in uh, Paris, France, uh, and was also uh, a visiting scholar uh, at the Woodrow Wilson School of Public International Affairs at Princeton University. Uh, he has wide-ranging interests related to many different aspects of technology, um, but of course space is one of the key uh, uh, focuses of his interest, and that will be his, uh, the focus of his talk today. Um, and just to say, uh, Professor Suzuki is also contributing to a white paper, um, an SMA white paper, which will be examining uh, escalation uh, dynamics and Chinese perceptions of escalation in West Pacific scenarios. Um, uh, and uh, it will be great to uh, get people's thoughts on um, escalation in West Pacific scenarios and, um, and in particular, obviously, uh, the perceptions of allies and other important third parties such as Japan. 
Uh, and with that, thank you very, very much for speaking, Professor Suzuki, and we uh, look forward to your talk. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Um, um, thank you very much for inviting me for this uh, very interesting and prestigious um, uh, workshop on the phone. Uh, my name is Kazuto Suzuki. I have, uh, well, as uh, Nick said, um, I've been working on the various issues with regard to the technology and the security, but uh, space has been uh, one of my expertise. And I have been a member of the Japanese government uh, space security uh, working group and also the space in, uh, commercialization working group as well. So I've been uh, working on this subject for a couple of years, well, many years actually, years, in the 20 years. But um, uh, today I'm going to speak in the context of the US-Japan alliance and uh, how to meet the security challenges in uh, particular with regard to the Chinese emergence as a space power. So uh, I think you have my PowerPoint slides um, in front of you. Um, so let's get started from the second slide. So space systems are, I, I just assume that the, you know all this already, but uh, <coughs> just to um, uh, 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 quickly go through, the space systems are currently very critical for socio-economic warfare for um, anybody in, on the Earth. Uh, but also it is becoming as uh, indispensable uh, tools for the modern military system. You cannot fly drones, you cannot collect uh, intelligence, you cannot find your way in, uh, in the bushes or even the desert. You, you cannot uh, operate without space. Uh, but also, even though space uh, is so critical for the uh, for the uh, daily life as well as the military operations. Space are really vulnerable, and it it can be damaged for many reasons: the in unintentional um, collision with the space debris or any space object, or intentionally attacked by the kinetic uh, forces like missiles, but also uh, non-kinetic means by uh, radio frequency jamming, etc., etc. So, um, and also it is very difficult to defend because the satellites and have to be launched from the, uh, from the ground against the gravity. So, all the space system has to be light and and, and very uh, equipped with a very least uh, protection uh, from the outside attack. And also, the satellite needs to communicate through the uh, radio, um, uh, uh, radio, so uh, it can be disappeared uh, in the way. And, you know, it, it is therefore very difficult, difficult to deter the attack. In other words, it invites a lot of uh, uh, attention for the adversaries to attack your space system because of the critical importance of uh, in the social economic and the military operations. So, in other words, if it's very difficult to deter the attack, we need to have other means other than space uh, to deter the attack on space systems. Uh, that means 
we need to have the conventional um, deterrence in order to prevent the attack on the space system. And there are a variety of ways to achieve that, but at least, conceptually speaking, we need to have the cross-domain deterrence system to protect the, uh, the space assets. The second, uh, next slide. The vulnerability in space uh, means that it is um, the space domain is physically controlled by the laws of physics. It is very difficult to protect um, the satellite itself, and therefore um, it is. Uh, we have to be uh, really. Uh, we have to pay attention to this uh, vulnerability uh, because, as I said, it provides a lot of. Um, uh, Attention for for the adversaries to, to attack in the first place. And uh, space, as you know, um, is, uh, space is the domain where a lot of physics uh, <coughs> work. And everything in the in, in orbit travels in a very very high velocity uh, with uh, 28,000 kilometers per hour. Which is a very very high speed, and and it's very difficult to avoid the uh, collision with those uh, um, debris or any uh, kinetic attack or uh, you know nuclear satellites, anything that comes to your assets. So the only possibility of uh, reducing the impact is to to avoid the collision. And therefore, we need to have the space situational awareness, which is to monitor the, all the objects in, uh, in orbit to make sure that you know these are not in collision with the very critical satellites. But at the same time, uh, the SSA has the limit. We can detect uh, the size of softball, but we cannot detect the smaller debris than that. So there are about um, Hundred thousand debris in the lower, lower, lower orbit, which means that there are uh, a very uh, high uh, chances that that we may hit something. The our sat satellite will be hit by one of those uh, hundred thousand smaller debris that we cannot detect. But these space objects are one thing. It's a, it's it's an unintended consequence of the, of the failure of space systems, but also there are intentional attacks on the space system. In 2007, Chinese ASAT test, which um, destroyed the uh, Chinese-owned satellite by Chinese missile, has created a, 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 a tremendous amount of debris crowd, and uh, that is increasing the population of the debris in the lower orbit. Uh, but this is a typical case of um, of intentional attacks on, on the uh, space assets. Also, there is a possibility of uh, being attacked by the solar flares, or the uh, and the similar uh, effects can be uh, uh, can be gained by the electromagnetic pulse, the EMP, uh, if you uh, detonate um, nuclear weapon in orbit in the Earth orbit, then you can wipe out most of the satellites in, 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 uh, in, in the region. 
So these are also uh, possible uh, man-made or unintentional uh, threats to the space systems, and the space are vulnerable uh, for that. The next slide. This is the anti-satellite uh, ASAT attack, which is a, a classical uh, a, a way to take out the satellite capabilities. And this ASAT test, uh, ASAT attack, is very uh, attractive for the adversaries to uh, to when uh, in the uh, in the situation of the military conflict. Because first of all, um, the space assets are simple; they uh, cannot be replaced in um, anything else. So uh, the uh, space provides a unique capability for uh, for operating, particularly in a long distance. And also, um, space is scarce. Um, you you don't have many uh, satellite systems uh, operating at at once. There are, yes, of course, you have uh, multiple satellites monitoring space, but the, um, each satellites are very expensive, and and uh, it, it can watch in a certain place in a certain time. Only one satellite can do that, and therefore it. Uh, if you take out one satellite, uh, you can reduce the uh, capabilities of monitoring a uh, certain place uh, dramatically. Um, and it is also vulnerable, as I said. Uh, space assets are very difficult to, to protect. And also, uh, space is a non-lethal um, domain. And most of, uh, apart from the International Space Station, all satellites are operated unmanned. So if you attack space capabilities, you, if you attack satellites, you don't kill anybody, you uh, directly kill anybody, but you can effectively reduce the military, you know, operational capability of the adversary. And also space is a long way away. You, you can't detect what is going on. Yes, you can understand, you know, there are satellites moving this way and that way, but you cannot find a, you, you cannot, uh, you cannot establish the attribution of who is what in space. We can only see the, uh, you know, flips and the later. We can only see the telemetry coming down from the satellite. But, you know, these, these, information does not reflect intent. So it is very difficult to identify who did what for what reason. So um, it, it's really difficult to attribute. So therefore, um, attacking the space assets is, is the first mover advantage. If you are in a military conflict, the first thing you do, apart from the cyber attack, is to take out the satellite capability. And therefore, the um, issue with regard to the space and space design is extremely important, particularly of the uh, possible uh, uh, conflict with the other major uh, satellite-capable, space-capable countries, such as um, China or Russia. And as I said, the attribution is very difficult because of the blind spot. Blind spot means if you 
you have as many as uh, possible uh, uh, radars in your territory, it only covers the half of the hemisphere. You can only see the northern hemisphere part. So you cannot see the entire southern hemisphere. So uh, that's why it is a requirement for the international cooperation to monitor the uh, space. And that's why the Australia recently joined the network of the Space Situational Awareness, SSA. Japan is part of it, and Europe is another. So we do have the international network, but still there is a, a, a bunch of areas that we are not covering. So if the attack occurs in a place where we cannot see, it's also very difficult to, to make an attribution uh, for the, you know, who did what, for what purposes. And also the, the kinetic attack, which is conducted by China in 2007, creates a lot of debris, which may threaten not only the US or Japanese satellites, but also the Chinese satellite itself. Because debris doesn't discriminate, you know, uh, the, your satellite. It, it's just, you know, uh, floating around in orbit uh, according to the laws of physics. So um, the China has understood this problem. So they have conducted the uh, ASAT, kinetic ASAT test in 2010, 2013, and uh, they have done this in a way that not create debris. And all these, you know, uh, when they attack the space object and debris goes so that it enters into an atmosphere and burns out. The next slide, the fifth slide, is the non-kinetic ASAT attack. And there are two ways of attacking the uh, satellite without uh, using the kinetic force. One is the taking over satellites by hacking. It's a cyber attack. Uh, you can take over, most of the people are focusing on the cyber attack on the communication satellite and the communication itself. But also, these, in these days, it is increasingly problematic because there is a lot of smaller satellites which are operated by the commercial ventures who are not security conscious all the time, and they may not have the um, uh, encryption of the satellite signals which are commanding uh, command and control the uh, satellite. And uh, I think there are regulations in the United States to, uh, to secure their um, satellite frequencies to uh, not only the communication uh, frequencies uh, through transponders, but also um, uh, communication uh, for the command and control. But some countries doesn't really have this sort of awareness and often use a very open frequency which can be uh, uh, overtaken by uh, certain malign intensity. So if, if you take over the satellite for some small uh, commercial venture uh, satellite, and then you can take over and move the, the satellite, commercial satellite, into a, 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 a trajectory of the other 
operational military crucial uh, military assets, then it can collide in, uh, and it can take out the uh, uh, satellite capability. So uh, any space asset, any satellite can be space weapon. And it can be, it doesn't have to be a space weapon, you know, it doesn't have to be a space weapon for attacking other satellites. The normal operational satellite can be immediately turned into uh, a space, um, space weapon. So it's not only the U.S. satellite that needs to be protected uh, commercially, but also the all other satellites in the world to make sure that they get their operation, operators will be responsible for protecting their communication and make sure, to, uh, make sure that they avoid the cyber attacks and cyber hacking uh, on their, on their uh, uh, command and control. But the problem is that if you want to make a very secure, um, very secure communication with your satellite, you need to have uh, a various methods that the most popular one is called uh, frequency hopping. You know, you have the algorithm to, uh, to change frequencies in a certain, uh, you know, frequency to make sure that no, uh, you know, the hackers cannot catch which is your operator. But this requires a lot of frequency bands, and this is very difficult because the space is getting crowded and therefore it is the availability of frequencies are limited and some uh, some uh, commercial satellites are using a very open frequency to make sure that they can have the enough um, bandwidth to, to, to communicate with, with their satellites. So this um, scarcity of the radio frequency is one of the big problems for, for concerning about the cyber attacks on the space system. Next slide. Next slide is about non-kinetic, non-cyber attacks. Uh, the ASAT attacks can be uh, various, uh, can take a various form. One of which is the jamming, which is to interfere the uplink or downlink of communication by overpowering the signals through radio frequency interference. So that you can you can block the trans uh, transmission of the signals from satellites to ground. And this the one of the examples that you can see today is the Iranian uh, Iranian communication uh, ministry is operating the satellite jamming for the for the TV broadcasting of BBC. BBC uh, Persian is is considered to be by the Iranian authorities that it is a harmful uh, cultural invasion. So they just operate the jamming for the satellite tr transmission of the uh, TV broadcasting uh, signal. And also the North Korea has, uh, has, offered, has owned and operated the uh, GPS jamming uh, system, which can have a very powerful uh, jammer that um, that is uh, located in the in the border area with South Korea, <laughs> and this uh, jammer has made a very uh, uh, headache problem for 
to the uh, uh, traffic control, particularly the air, air traffic control, uh, which goes by um, around the uh, Seoul and Incheon Airport. The other uh, method is called scooping, which is uh, much more uh, skillful and, and uh, technical, uh, technically interesting way to insert the false information to the receiving devices. So it, it, it uses the um, very high um, powerful signal than GPS and to, uh, to make sure that your phones or GPS receivers will mistake that uh, you are in a different location. So even though you, you even though you are in the middle of Tokyo, you, your phones may uh, have the um, uh, map of uh, somewhere in the Seattle. And this can be possible. And if you occasionally, the Kremlin, uh, uh, the Russian uh, you know, presidential palace, operates this scooping. So sometimes if, you, if you're lucky, then you can go to Moscow and then you find you are not in the Moscow, you are in the St. Petersburg or somewhere else. And that is the two things. Dazzling is uh, particular for uh, the uh, Earth observation spy satellite, the reconnaissance satellite. You can shoot the razor beam to the satellite to make sure that these, uh, these satellites cannot see certain areas. Um, this can be a permanent damage for the uh, for the satellite, or you can just have a sort of a temporarily temporarily uh, blindness of the satellite for a few hours. And the other method is the rendezvous and docking. This is somewhat uh, similar to the kinetic attack, but it is called the killer satellite that you can you can approach to the um, uh, your um, you can approach to the adversary um, space asset and then and cling on to the satellite and then um, give these sort of high atmospheric health to uh, uh, disable the communications or disable the satellite functions. Or you can take the adversary satellite together uh, and push them down to the atmosphere to, to burn, them up, burn them out. So this, is, um, this can be another uh, way of attacking satellites. So in this um, situation, uh, it is very difficult uh, to, to deter the uh, attack on satellites. Um, first of all, it, the pitch for tat uh, deterrent is not very much an um, attractive option because the dependence on the space assets are varied. Uh, with, uh, you know, um, some countries do rely on space, some countries doesn't. For example, the North Korea doesn't have its own satellite and it doesn't really depend on the space operations. So, if North Korea attacks the U.S. satellite, the U.S. cannot attack North Korean satellites because there is no North Korea satellite in existence. So, you cannot deter for the typical attack. You may you may do so for the uh, Chinese case, but even China is less dependent on space assets than the United States. 
So, um, you know, shooting down the satellite or jamming uh, to each other is is not uh, is not very effective deterrence. And also, it's very hard to imagine that this deterrence by denial. Um, there are three possible ways to deny the uh, satellite attack. Uh, one is to shoot down all the missiles which is aiming for the satellite. You may do so by you using the missile defense system, but it, it's hardly thinkable that it, it's hard to, to know that missiles is attacking the, uh, the satellite uh, in, in, the, uh, in the booster phase. <coughs> and it is also very expensive. Um, protecting the whole radio transmission is also very hard. You can use the satellite uh, frequency hopping, but again, as I said, the frequencies are, uh, you know, the uh, availability of frequencies are limited. Protecting all sensors by, from dazzling is possible, technically possible, but it's also going to be very expensive and makes the satellite very heavy. And the if you make a heavy satellite, then it will uh, it would over the capacity. Of, it will go over the capacity of the launcher uh, capabilities, and also it is very difficult for the satellites to uh, maintain their, uh, their orbit. So the lifetime of the satellite is going to be much uh, much shorter. So how do we uh, well the other issues with regard to the deterrence in space is that the, once the satellite is launched, the lifetime is going to be like 10 or 15 years. So most of the satellite is carrying on the technology which is about 10 years old. That means that those satellites were not protected and there were no such um, uh, uh, it, it was not designed to prevent those attacks from the ground or from uh, jamming or spooking. Uh, so it's very difficult to um, to turn around the existing satellites to upgrade um, the hardware. You can upgrade the software, but the, again, the software uh, is. The hardware is about 10 years old, so if you think about the speed of CPU or, you know, a GPU or, uh, you know, all the uh, processors, all the uh, memory, you know, these are these are very older. So the new upgraded system may not function pretty well for protecting the satellite from uh, kinetic attacks. And um, also, as, as I said. The attribution, has, has, you know, there is that attribution problem. Uh, what we can? Excuse me. Okay, I'm listening uh, to a Japanese Ladies and gentlemen, please remember that your uh, we were not unable to mute everyone, so please mute your phone calls. Are you mute your phone? Thank you. Okay. Oh, um, if you have a question. Oh, sir, we could hear you. Okay. Good. The uh, conference is now in silent mode. I'll just uh, finish in uh, a few minutes. Um, the, the conference is now in talk mode. Uh, 
Dr. Suzuki, are so, you there? Yeah, I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. I, um, I think it's, I'm sorry about that. Please continue. Oh, no problem. Um, I'll just finish in a few minutes. Uh, okay. Um, so attribution, as we, as I said, it, it, it's possible to monitor what's going on in space, but it's very hard to understand what is the motivation. It may be an intentional, maybe it's not intentional. Maybe it's a malfunction of the other satellite, or it's an intentional movement of. And also um, um, the. So um, um, the next slide is about the Italian money of the space. You know, um, if you are familiar with the uh, cyber security, then you may have heard the Italian money. We don't have that in space. There is no uh, arrangement for the space, uh, space international law, and we don't know what sort of a deterrent is possible. And if you are using the cross-domain deterrent, but we don't know the proportionality. You know the You know what is the proportional uh, for the, for the retaliation? Uh, for example, if the North Korea attacks on the uh, American satellite, is it constitute the uh, uh, act of war? Um, the United States understood that this is an act of war, but is, is it internationally recognized as an uh, act of war, which is still under question? And if you regard this as an act of war, what is the proportional response to those attacks? As I said, North Korea doesn't have the space assets, so taking out the space assets is not an option. So what can, what means is um, acceptable uh, proportional response to the North Korean attack on the U.S. satellite? It's not clear yet. So we need to have a tally manual um, or some sort of a, you know, uh, uh, rules of engagement or some, you know, uh, using bellow kind of. Uh, 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 use a better uh, mechanism for the um, uh, for the space uh, the military conflict in space, but we don't have that. And the Milamos, which is uh, which is uh, conducted by the uh, McGill University in Canada and Adelaide University in Australia, is trying to create something called uh, the, uh, something similar to the Italian manual, but this discussion is currently very um, it's, it's tough, and uh, I don't have a high hope for the next few years that they can produce anything that is similar to the Italian manual. Um, the next slide about the role of U.S. Japan alliance. Um, as you may know, that Japan has been shy away from uh, the uh, use of space for military purposes because of the internal constraints. The Japanese constitution and the Japanese diet resolution uh, refrained from the military authorities, the self-defense force and the Ministry of Defense to invest, own, operate, and use even uh, space capability for many years. In 2008, the basic space law has passed, so in that 10 years, gradually the military, the basic space law has allowed the military authorities to invest and use space for the uh, uh, 
security purposes, but uh, in last ten years, the, um, the self-defense forces gradually developing their space capabilities. They are now launched for communication satellites, but um, beyond that, the Japanese space capability for military purposes is very, very limited. But still, um, because of the uh, large dependence of the increasingly increasing importance of the space assets or use of space uh, became a very uh, now the SDF is now being aware of this, this importance and therefore uh, they are now gradually uh, increasing their interest and attention for the use of space and now Japan and the United States have the uh, comprehensive space dialogue which talks about both military and the civilian space uh, program, and um, we one of the, the outcomes is the uh, 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 increasing cooperation for the space situational awareness, information sharing on the uh, on, on uh, from the reconnaissance satellites, particularly with regard to North Korean issues, and also uh, Japan and the U.S. is on the side by side for the international uh, rulemaking process in the UN and other places, uh, uh, conference on disarmament, and, and uh, uh, these are the current ongoing cooperation in, in space. But at the same time, uh, we are in the discussion of the increasing resilience and the deterrence through denial, uh, deterrence by denial, by Using the uh, increasing interoperability and to make sure that both countries will perform as a backup when the, the certain satellite capabilities are lost. So it can be intentional uh, attack or unintentional uh, malfunction, but if there is a satellite, uh, satellite capability loss, then uh, you know, uh, because of this uh, increasing interoperability, we can put the um, Japanese satellite to the U.S. system to provide the services uh, to replace this lost uh, capability. So basically, um, this is the uh, both Japan and, and the U.S. called the mission assurance that those systems will, uh, the missions of the system will continue, even though they the the systems are under attack. And deterrence uh, by punishment, um, the discussion goes going on for the cross domain deterrence, but uh, given that the, the uh, Japanese constraints, constitutional constraints for the uh, 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 Japanese uh, self defense force uh, capability to, uh, to retaliate the attack and to exercise the collective, collective self-defense, um, Japan will perform the, uh, basically the logistics support for the U.S. Uh, counter-attack on the space, uh, attack on the space assets. So this is the, one of the situations that, one of the, uh, 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 this, is, this is where we are in terms of the um, uh, space cooperation for the military, uh, for the deterrence. 
So finally, the last slide of conclusion, uh, the um, importance and vulnerability of state assets are needed to be uh, better understood, and uh, and also uh, there is a uh, problem in Japan yet, because we only started to use military um, space for the military purpose in the last 10 years. So um, the, uh, it is still very difficult for some of the uh, mini Ministry of Defense people to accept that they can, in, you know, they spent um, a very scarce budget on the space system. So um, uh, it's still, uh, you know, there is a philosophic, philosophical um, question within the uh, defense authority in Japan for, you know, to what extent Japan will uh, will uh, will perform in space. The alliance uh, plays a key role for the uh, transparency of the operations and to make sure that uh, this this um, uh, bilateral and uh, multilateral activities will create the sort of sort of an atmosphere for 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 the uh, understanding of what's going on in space, the um, information collected by the space situation awareness is um, is now being used not only the alliance uh, allies and the United States, but also by the commercial um, uh, players and even um, Chinese. The SSA um, some degraded. Uh, information are now publicly available, uh, so uh, the Chinese are also looking at those uh, information uh, uh, provided by the United States. Also, the most important part of this Japan-US alliance is the resilience, to make sure that, you know, uh, we are prepared for the uh, satellites being taken, you know, some satellites being taken out, but we can replace our capability, we can share our capability to make sure that the missions are continued. And the deterrence to punishment is somewhat uh, in discussion, uh, but there are limits of uh, Japanese capabilities to, uh, to pass basically uh, for the uh, uh, for as a response to the satellite attack, but Japan can play. Uh, a certain role in the in supporting for the U.S. retaliation actions. So basically, um, space attacks cannot be deterred by the space means alone. But deterrence um, in space requires a source of main deterrence, and uh, the U.S. alliance needs to extend uh, its scope to uh, this sort of an attack and make sure that we can. Uh, we can have this new operation and we have to be prepared for this sort of a uh, situation in the coming future. So thank you very much for listening and uh, I'll, I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, Dr. Suzuki.